ahead and come on together here. Let's go ahead and come on together. And let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. We are sort of not really going to continue our series through Isaiah 40 through 66. I say sort of, but not really, because we are going to preach this morning. I'm going to deliver in Sunday school this morning what's called a textual sermon. There are three kinds of sermons uh, that they teach you in school. One is topical, one is textual, and one is expository. If you want to know the technicalities here, expository sermon is what we do most of the time. I take a section of scripture and explain it as an original reader would have understood it. And you, yeah, exposit simply means to explain. You have a topical sermon, which is, uh, let's see what the Bible says on the topic of joy or on the topic of Christmas, and you scour the scriptures for all that it has to say on that topic. There's a third type of sermon, which I very rarely preach here, but actually used to be the most common type of sermon since probably the Puritans, Um, and it's called a textual sermon. What you do is you take a short text of scripture, you draw out a preliminary conclusion from it, and then from that preliminary conclusion, you show how other sections of scripture fill that out, cross-pollinate it, so on and so forth, okay? So you, you would hear a preacher back in the day say, my text for this morning will be, and they'll read a text of scripture, and then you don't spend a whole lot of time in that text, okay? And it's a very legitimate way to preach, and um, uh, it, it can be effective Um, It it can be very effective for uh, sort of one-off sermons, and that's what we're going to do today. There was a, I'd been reflecting on something this week that came from meditation on Isaiah 45, and that's what we're going to do. Okay, so Isaiah 45, Isaiah 45, and we're going to take as our text verses 1 through 3, okay? And we'll study this again later in more detail. Just very quickly, just so we get the history here. Don't you remember? The people of God have narrowly dodged the Assyrian bullet. They think they're in trouble with Assyria. God says, I don't want you to worry about Assyria. I just want you to know, though, you're going to be conquered by a nation called Babylon. You'll be carried off. Prophet Jeremiah tells us 70 years you're going to be carried off. Then God promises here in Isaiah, I'm going to deliver you through the instrument of a person. And this is about 150 years in advance that God is predicting the deliverer from the hands of Babylon. He calls this man by name. And actually, through these passages, gets very specific about who this historical figure is going to be. Now, what I want us to notice from this passage is how little say Cyrus has in this whole endeavor. Okay, let's see what God says about Cyrus, the man, by the way, that was first called the king of kings. Okay. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you, this is God talking to Cyrus, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. 
I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. Do you see what God is saying here? Here is what up to this point in history was the mightiest man who'd ever lived. And we see a picture of God leading him along as though he's a toddler. God directing him and moving him, God clearing the path for him. God has called him by name and names him 150 years in advance and tells him what he's going to do, not for Cyrus's sake, but for the sake of Jacob, for the sake of the people of Israel. He says to Cyrus, even though you haven't called on me, even though you don't know me, I'm doing this. I'm raising you up. I'm leading you. I'm breaking things open for you. Again, not for you, but for me and for my causes and for my people. And God most certainly is the primary actor here, isn't he? In fact, we might even conclude that the entire will of Cyrus gets swallowed up into the purposes of God. Now, Cyrus was certainly acting of his own accord, but it just so happened he was doing it exactly the way the Lord wanted it to happen and even caused it to happen. And so here, God has taken control of the situation. Now, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. How many of you see God doing things in big historical fashions, but struggle to see how the Lord might help you? I believe the Lord split the Red Sea. But somehow he's not concerned about my electricity bill. I believe that the Lord, 150 years in advance, called the mightiest man to ever live by name and then led him by the hand. But I struggle to see how this illness is going to work out for good. I have a deadline at work that I have to get to, and somehow God is unconcerned about that. Or... How about this? I see how God sent Jesus into the world to save sinners on the cosmic, grand, universal level. But I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Maybe it was a mistake of sin. Maybe it was a mistake of ignorance. Maybe it was just overlooking something. But now I'm in a pickle. And in the grand scheme of things, this pickle is quite small and I can't really accept that God is going to pay too much attention to my minor deadline or pickle or shortcoming or whatever it might be. Though I know God works in the big, it doesn't even occur to me that God works in the small. Namely, with little old me. How many of us sometimes see God that way? Anybody? Yeah. So here's my question for you. Here's my question for you. To what lengths is God prepared to go to to cover for little old you? 
to what lengths is God prepared to go to to cover for you, to cover even for your mistakes, to cover for oversights or ignorance? How, how far is God willing to go to cover for you? Okay. Well, I've got five statements, and we're going to back them all up with Scripture. Okay. If God was willing to lead the most powerful ruler of the world by the hand, What's he willing to do for you? Okay. Now, in each of these biblical, what we're going to do is we're going to go to sections of the Bible that maybe you're not totally familiar with. Now, I have written down the page numbers of the Pew Bible. For those of you who are really good at Bible sword drill, you'll just turn right to these passages, no problem. For those of you who are like me and still have to sing the Bible song to get the books of the Bible in order, um, then I have the page numbers for you. Okay, and so I'm just going to just grab a pew Bible and I'm going to call out the page number and you can just go right there because I do want you to see them all because my guess is there will be at least one that you'll say either I didn't know that was in the Bible or it's been a long time since I read that. Okay, so number one, how far and, and also the ones I've selected are not God dealing cosmically. There are incidents where God does something to help an individual, and unless he had shared it, nobody else would have known. Okay, Either one individual or a very small group of individuals. This is very personal. Fair enough? Okay. So how far is God willing to go to get me out of trouble? How far is God willing to go to cover my little me, little my mistake? Okay. Number one, God is willing... To make people have dreams so that it will bless you. God is willing that people would dream certain dreams about you just to help you out. People somewhat connected to you, people disconnected to you, but God is willing to invade others' dreams just to help you. Okay? I have Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. Turn to page 14 of your Bible. Genesis 20, verse 1. Turn to page 14. Here in this passage, uh, Abraham uh, made a mistake, Abram. He was not, he was supposed to dwell in the land that God told him to dwell in, but there was a famine. And so he goes down to, um, he goes down to uh, the territory that Abimelech rules over. I had, I to the wrong place. Abraham goes down to where Abimelech lives. says, and he sojourned in Gerar. This is chapter 20, verse 1. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she's my sister. Now that's a half-truth. It's not really totally true. But because she's such a beautiful woman, Abimelech takes her into his harem. Now this is going to be problematic because Isaac hasn't been born yet. And God doesn't want it said that Abimelech is the father. He wants it said that Abraham is the father. Well, who caused this mess? Whose mistake was it? Abraham's. How far is God willing to go to cover your mistake? Let's look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because you have taken... You have taken uh, this woman, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, 
So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, and in the innocence of my hands. Oh, I'm so innocent. I took this woman against her will. I'm full of integrity. God listens to that and doesn't rebuke him totally. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I. In other words, God doesn't buy his excuse. God says, it wasn't you that stayed away from this woman. There was no integrity in you. I kept you away from her. It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And Abimelech sends them away. God invaded another person's dream just to cover Abraham and Sarah. Let's go to Genesis 41. This is page 34 of your Bible. Page 34. This one's a little more famous. Joseph's in jail. He's been there for two years. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And you guys know the rest of the story, I think. Abraham dreams two dreams. These fat cows get consumed by ugly, emaciated cows. Cows are not carnivores. Cows are herbivores. It would be very discon- it would be a very disturbing dream to watch an emaciated cow trample and eat another cow. That's what he dreamed. And then he dreamed a second dream where uh, the same was true of barley uh, leaves, barley stacks. And Pharaoh's very disturbed by this dream. But God had positioned people just right. And next thing you know, Joseph's standing in front of him interpreting his dream. This was Yeah, God is willing to do that. God is willing to do that. I've had personal experience with this. Danielle and I had made a commitment to something, and we thought that we could make it good, but we were going to lose some money on the deal. And it was disconcerting. It was a mistake that we'd made. Out of the blue, a person who hadn't talked to us in years texted Danielle and said, I had a dream about you last night. I'm sending you money. Seriously. And wouldn't you know it, it was the exact amount of money that we were short. And we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. God's willing to do that for you. Okay. Number two, God is willing to alter the behavior of the animal kingdom just to cover for you. Okay. God is willing to alter the behavior of animals in the animal kingdom just to cover for you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Numbers 22, verses 22 through 20. This is page 131. Page 131. What's that? About hunting? Does it apply to hunting? (laughs) Um, If you have a story about how God did this, then I will listen (laughs) eagerly. Because God will cover for your mistakes by altering the behavior of animals, as I'm about to prove from the Bible. Numbers 22, verses 22 through 28. Balak wants to curse Israel. And so he goes and hires a prophet named Balaam. He says, Balaam, come curse these people. And Balaam says, I'm not going to say anything against the Lord because the Lord had appeared to him in a dream and scared him. Remember, that was our previous one. 
But Balaam goes anyway, and the Lord's upset with him. And so Balaam is on his donkey. Let's look at verse 22. Verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on a donkey. And his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam, I mean, he's a man of action. He can't let a donkey treat him like that, especially not in front of his servants. Balaam struck the donkey to turn her onto the road. He's, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. See, now he's got a hurt foot. It's been crushed between the donkey and the wall. It's cut. It's bleeding. And so he struck her again. Now his pride is on the line. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you <laughs> that you struck me these three times? I was trying to save your skin, buddy. What's interesting is Balaam is so enraged in his anger and frustration, it doesn't seem to surprise him that a donkey is talking to him. It, that he's caught up in the moment, yet God is changing the behavior of this animal just to preserve Balaam's life. Jonah 1.17, I won't have you turn there, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh. And so he gets in a boat and he decides to go to Tarshish instead. Somebody, is, well, I can't do it visually. If I could illustrate this, Nineveh is this way and Tarshish is this way. There, it would be like being told, Greg, go to Los Angeles. Actually, it would be more like this. Greg, go to New York City, and you catch me on I-15 South headed towards San Diego. You'd say, uh, Pastor Greg, wrong way. So he's going to Tarshish, and God causes wind and storm, and he says, throw me overboard, but God had prepared a great fish, and the fish swallows him. And Jonah doesn't know this, but the fish did a U-turn and went to Nineveh. <laughs> and so there... Um, Jonah gets an express ticket, safe and sound, in the belly of a fish that God prepared all the way to Nineveh. I mean, I am going to have you turn to this one. Turn to Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Matthew 17, this is page 823 in your pew Bible. Page 823. Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. He'd just seen Jesus at the um, Transfiguration. And Peter's the kind of person who, I'm, I'm one of these people, so I totally get it, and I'm sure you know these people in your life who talk first and think second, okay? Um, they think they know something, and so they just say it instead of really giving it careful thought and kind of make their, unfortunately, many of these people make their theology to retrofit the words they've already said. Um, and... That's, that's Peter. He's talk first, think next. Well, somebody comes up to him 
verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Stop there. The two, the two drachma tax was a tax on the temple for the temple upkeep. Now, there was no such thing back in this day as separation of church and state. Um, you know, you paid your taxes to the government, and the government was in charge to keep up the place of worship. And in this case, the temple with Herod the Great, it was quite a temple. It was beautiful and grand and, quite frankly, excessive. And so all the Israelites paid a tax for its upkeep and so forth. Well, the tax collector saw Jesus walk by the booth without paying the tax. And so he found Peter, who he had associated with Jesus, and he goes up to him. He says, does your master pay the tax? He should have. He walked right by. He didn't pay. And Peter, who's Peter? Think first. Uh, talk first, think second, says, yes, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? Didn't think twice about it. When he comes to the house, Jesus spoke to him, saying, hey, Simon, what do you think? What do you think, buddy? From whom do kings of the earth take a toll or tax? From their sons or from others? In other words, do princes pay taxes? Do princes pay taxes? No. Princes pay taxes. Princes collect taxes. They don't pay taxes. They get taxes so that they can have money. And Peter concludes this correctly. He says, from others. And Jesus said to him, so then, Jesus presses the point, the sons are free. However, in other words, Jesus says, look, I walked by that booth and out of principle, wasn't going to pay it because I'm the Lord of it. It's for me. It's for me. I instituted it as the prince and the king. I don't pay that. And out of principle, he wasn't going to pay it. <laughs> but Peter had opened his mouth, stuck his foot in his mouth, and Jesus says, so no offense is given. Tell you what, Cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. Now, my fishing prowess will tell you it's not that easy, okay? <laughs> and when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So Jesus had a fish swallow, well, had somebody spill a shekel into the water, had a fish eat the shekel, and then had the fish take Peter's hook and had it just there. Was it Jesus' mistake that needed to be covered? No, it was Peter's. Now, if our view of God were to hold, we would say, well, Jesus would say, okay, Peter, go do a day's work so you can make up for your mistake. But Jesus instead altered the behavior of the animal kingdom to cover for Peter's mistake. Number three. God is willing to answer ridiculously specific prayer requests for you. Okay? God is willing to answer ridiculously specific prayer requests just for you. Turn to page 17 of your Bible, Genesis 24:12, Genesis 
Abraham has asked his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. And he says, I want you to go to a very specific village and find a wife from my family for my son. And the servant is like, hey, that's not as easy as you might think, Abraham. Abraham, I mean, what if she doesn't want to come? What if I can't find her? What if I don't get there? And Abraham says, look, I just want you to make your best effort. Swear to me you'll make your best effort. And the servant says, okay, fine. It wasn't an easy thing. It was a several-month journey that was quite expensive. He's not even sure how to identify these people. So in Genesis chapter 24, verse 12, the servant says this. He gets to the village, and he says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing at the spring of water. Okay, he's just saying where he is. I'm, I'm here at the well. And the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Now, camels drink a lot of water. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this, he said, here's what I want. I want you to bring a woman out and they're not supposed to talk to men, a woman out who will volunteer to give me a drink and of her own accord volunteer to water all my animals, water all my camels. And it says, by this ridiculously specific prayer request, I shall know you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder, the young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled up her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. She quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw waters for your camels also. <laughs> Can you imagine what the servant must have done? He must have just stopped and stared at her I, I would imagine that he asked her to repeat herself. What did you say? And so you know this happened. This started to happen before he finished praying. There's, of course, Judges chapter 6, verses 36 and following. This is Gideon's fleece. Now, you know this story. We won't turn there. Gideon asks that the fleece be wet and the ground dry. And he's like, okay, maybe I didn't get that right. God, maybe the fleece could be dry and the ground could be wet <laughs> the next day. And God does it. God answered a ridiculously specific prayer request. Number four, God is willing to overcome the laws of physics just to cover for you. God is willing to overcome the laws of physics just to cover for you. We'll go to 2 Kings chapter 6. It's page 312. Page 312. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go down to the Jordan, and each of us get a log there, and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, Go. Then one of them said, Be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I'll go. 
So he went with them. And they came to the Jordan. They cut down trees. But, wha- but as one was felling a log, his axe head came off the handle. Went flying into the water. And he cried out, Alas, my master, it's borrowed. The law demanded that he replace this axe head. This was not a cheap tool. Very expensive to get a forged axe head that was sharp enough and heavy enough to fell a tree in the ancient world. This man likely did not have the money to cover it or he wouldn't have borrowed it to begin with. It's a mistake of his. Then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, take it up. And he reached out his hand and took it. God was concerned about, an, about a borrowed axe head and overcame the laws of physics so that it could be recovered. Daniel chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. Daniel doesn't want to eat the contaminated food. So he says, would you allow that I be a vegetarian? The man said, no, no, I can't allow that to happen. He said, well, I'll tell you what, feed us for one week. What was it, one week or ten days? I can't recall, I think it was ten days. Feed us only vegetables. And at the end of the time, the allotted time, an inspection was done, and Daniel and his compatriots were healthier, looked better. God overcame the laws of nature just for his servant in John 2 verse 1 an embarrassing situation the people had run out of the groom had run out of wine and then Jesus' mother uh, at best she presumes on Jesus says you need to help them and he says my time hasn't come and before and, and she does kind of a rude thing before, before even considering what Jesus was saying, she tells the servants, do whatever he says. Well, now Jesus is in kind of a tough place. The groom has made a mistake in not having enough wine, and his mother's made a mistake of being pushy. And Jesus covers for them both by turning water into wine. And only the servants knew. And Mary. Only the servants knew. Jesus was willing to overcome the laws of nature to cover for people. Number five. This is our last one. God is willing to place a variety of unlikely people around you who will help you in your time of need. Second Kings chapter five, verse one, Naaman is a leper. He's kidnapped an Israelite girl. And she says to her, mistress oh that you guys were back in my hometown where there's a prophet who could heal you so here's a girl kidnapped taken as a slave and this unlikely person leads to naaman's healed state and his salvation for all eternity naaman will be thankful to this unlikely person placed in his care in matthew 2 1 Jesus uh, is in trouble, mortal danger. Herod wants to kill him. Three wise men, well, we don't know that it was three. It could have been a bunch. Wise men show up, offering gold, incense, and myrrh. 
And then God comes to Joseph and says, you need to skedaddle. <laughs> you need to get out of town like now and go to Egypt. Now, I got a question for you. How expensive is it to flee to another country and live there for at least two years and keep a low profile while you're doing it? That is not cheap. Well, lo and behold, what did they have? Gold, incense, and myrrh, three very tradable commodities. In fact, the incense and myrrh were frequently used as coinage in addition to gold and Roman coins. They were used as tradable value. And so here now Joseph is sitting, he's flush with essentially cash to go do exactly what God wanted him to do through the help of some unlikely people who showed up out of the blue. They had no idea that those people were coming. And here they are with gifts just for them to use to get them out of a pickle. <laughs> so, question. How far is God willing to go to cover for you? Is there anything he's unwilling to do to cover for you? He cares about little you. Okay? And he's willing to go to the ends of the world. He's willing to break his laws, uh, his own natural physical laws. He's willing to suspend nature. He's willing to put people around you. He's willing to, to terrify people out of, wits and out of their wits and their dreams <laughs> just to cover for you. Okay? He loves you. He's concerned about you and he wants your best, okay? So let's take our needs to him as though he does. Okay. Father, thank you so much that you are willing to go to these great lengths to cover for us, to help us in our time of need. And I ask that when our time on this earth is done, we'll look back at all the many times you covered for us in supernatural ways. And I ask that you would be glorified in it. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.